I just want to say thanks very much, Ellen and the team, for allowing this uh, time to share with you guys. And to the worship team this morning, oh, they just lifted up Jesus' name, didn't they? Isn't it a wonderful name? It's a wonderful name. Isn't it a name that will overcome every obstacle, that will defeat every enemy, and will give us life eternal and life forevermore? We should be singing and dancing and swinging from the chandeliers. Wow! Just a brief testimony as I started. It'll help me settle down. Two, uh, ten days ago, I went to the optometrist just for a checkup. And everything was basically okay. But she picked up a, a... She put up... You know, they play with your eyes where they put those things in. And there should have been the two goodies that should have merged and they weren't merged. And she said, do you have double vision? So I said, not that I know of, it's not worrying me. But apparently I have. So I see twice as much as you guys do. (laughs) Anyhow, she seemed a bit concerned about it. She said, come back next week, I'd like to check it again. And so what I did was on Sunday, Ellen said, anybody that has a need, please will you stand up? Well, I stood up and I was blessed. A few folk gathered around, they prayed for me. And I went back on Thursday. And she said, wow, it's much improved. She said, come back at the end of the month. So I'll be standing up again for more prayer. Because God doesn't stop halfway. He goes the whole journey. So I'm excited. I'm blessed by being in this body. Just a quick word. Um, many of you know um, you know the chivals. And chatting to, to them, they said, people overseas ask him, do you miss anything about South Africa? And he said, no, not really. But that was after the first service they'd been back. And he said, yes, he does. He misses Sarepta. We subscribe or are involved with, and I know others are, a mission, mission, an organization called Jericho Walls. And they send out, it's mainly, or it's focused on the Muslim communities in the Middle East and and other parts where, where, where they exist in large numbers. And they send out, it comes probably once a week, maybe a little bit more, a prayer request or something like that. Testimony. But a few weeks ago, we got a testimony. Jean's going to share it with you. The names may have been changed because they do try to protect the identity of people that they write about. So we don't know if this is his real name. But one afternoon, Daniel walked into a white tent in a refugee camp in Jordan with a family of eight people inside. Hi, I'm Daniel, and I'm here to tell you about Jesus, he announced. He wasn't quite prepared for their reaction. The family freaked out. They looked at each other and almost turned white. The father was excited, yelling, What's going on? Daniel wondered. The interpreter explained that the night before Daniel's visit, the whole family was sitting in their tent having tea together. To their surprise, a man in white opened the door to their tent and stood at the entrance. The man was glowing. Hello, my name is Jesus. 
and I'm sending a man tomorrow named Daniel to tell you more about me. And then he disappeared. So when Daniel arrived at their doorway and told them his name, they were completely undone. They asked him to tell them more about Jesus, and he explained the gospel. The whole family converted. The father had been part of the Free Syrian army. He had known bloodshed, and he was a devout Muslim. This man and his family are now planting underground churches in Jordan and are seeing a harvest among Muslims. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. <laughs> Imagine, oh Lord, come. Come and meet with us and come and share with us. This morning, folk, I just want to share. It's come up a couple of times during the worship. The worship was lovely, focusing on the Lord. But it's the more that Ellen was talking about. And if I come across and, kind of, and, and you get the feeling that I'm being critical, that's not my heart. It's the more. And so we're going to, to go through. It's not a preach in the technical sense of the word, but it's sharing what the Lord's put in my heart. And it's just so wonderful. There's like a buzz in the Christian world at the moment, around the world. There's a stirring. There's a rising up. And I love the words of Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. This was written 600, 650 years before Christ came. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. How true is that today? But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings will come to the brightness of your dawn. Let me just check your historical knowledge with one question. I've got an outline, but we're going in all sorts of directions. On the 28th of August, 1963, a man stood up on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., and he spoke to about 250,000 people. Anyone know what, what the occasion was? Joe? I had a dream. Martin Luther King, Jr., and he said to those folk, I have a dream. Do we have a dream? I've got a dream. I want to see this place full. Not full of believers. Full of people who need living water. People who are lost. People who are in desperate straits. People who don't know whether they're coming or going. Bring them here, Lord. And let them feel the love and the compassion and the grace that exists in this body. It's time. It's time. A few weeks ago, Monday evening prayer meeting, the Lord spoke to me about a Kairos moment. 
Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know the word. There are two Greek words for time that I know of. One is chronos, and that means time chronological. It's normal time. But the other one is kairos time, and that's a specific time. And in a real sense, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, came at a kairos moment. And I believe for each one of us that's born again, that was a kairos moment for us because the Lord of glory came in and touched us. And as I say, my dream is to see this place filled. Filled, as I say, with hungry people. People who don't know the Lord. I just want to briefly go through a couple of events in, in the church history, past church history, for a purpose. I'm going to start with the Welsh Revival. started in about 1904-1905, and Evan Roberts is the guy that is credited with the initiation of it, although there were a lot of other people involved in preaching. and He was, he was a young man, younger than you, Alex. He was a young man. <laughs> but um, he was praying. He felt that the church at the time had lost its way. It was ineffective and useless. And he was praying deeply out of his heart for the Lord to do something. And then one night he went to bed and he was awoken at one o'clock in the morning. And for four hours till five o'clock, he said he'd had time face to face with God. For three months, that happened every night. He said he'd go back to sleep, he'd sleep for an hour or two, and he'd wake up refreshed and full of life. In that revival, they estimate about 100,000 people got saved. It changed Wales. It changed the whole nature of the, of, of the country. And it can do that here. It can do that right here in Sarepta. So I'd encourage you, the first encouragement. Monday night we pray, half past five to half past six. If you've got a gap there, please join us. We've been praying for a while, but the longer we pray, the nearer we get to the end. The second move of the Spirit happened right after the, after the um, Welsh Revival. It happened in Azusa Street on the west coast of America. And it was actually an overflow from, from um, Wales because there's a lot of correspondence and interaction. And people were coming from all over the world to see what was happening. And tongues were being spoken. Tongues came out. And there was just great excitement. And, and the one story that the meeting house was about a kilometer or so from the railway station. Now, in those days, they didn't have air, air flights and all that. People got on a boat from half around the world to come to this well of living water. And many times, people would get off the train in the station, be walking towards where the meeting was, and they would go down in the power of the Spirit. They record the records of limbs growing out, people who had had limbs broke or cut off. Or, it's just unbelievable. But that's what I find about this book. 
In a real sense, it's unbelievable. And, and that's our problem. <laughs> that's our challenge. After Azusa Street, Azusa Street birthed the Pentecostal churches, and they went right around the world. After that, we come to the charismatic renewal. We're getting closer to our time, or most of us. 1960, the Protestant churches started experiencing this flow of the Holy Spirit, this move of the Spirit. Some of the early guys, Dennis Bennett, 9 o'clock in the morning, and uh, Colin Urquhart and, and those guys, we came into contact with them a bit later. But there was a new move in the church. There was a new life welling up because of what was going on. But then, in 1970, about that sort of time, there was a a major move, a major event, which isn't really recorded anywhere in the annals of Christian church history. I'm going to read the the formal uh, announciation of this whole thing. It all started in the late... 60s, when Mike Attlee of the Coastal Assemblies of God prayed for Dennis Norton, who was dying in hospital with one half of one lung functioning. God healed Dennis through that prayer. Dennis married his nurse, and they started a prayer meeting in their house in Asagai Road, which was comprised primarily of Dennis and Romana Norton and Ken and Faye Balcom. Many of you will know Ken and Faye. This developed into a Bible study attended by staff at Kersney College and others. And then in July 1970, this event happened. And the highway highway area has never been the same since. A couple arrived from England. And they called Jonathan and Jane. (laughs) And I'm so pleased that the legacy of what they started in those days is carrying on. In 1971, Jonathan and Jane were inducted as the pastoral leaders of the church at Asagai. The vision being to rediscover the New Testament church. And I was excited when I read this. This is on the Surreptive webpage if anyone wants to read the whole story. I was excited. This fellowship, our meeting here today, started back then when Mike Attlee prayed and God healed someone. It started on the basis of the supernatural. That's how all our lives start. We're born again of God. Yes. We're not born of man. John uh, 1.12. And it was born out of a miracle that that, that man's life was saved and the, and the prayer meetings and the Bible studies got going. But secondly, I love that, that mission or vision to discover a New Testament church. And we're still searching for that. But we've come a long way. And I want to honor you guys. 
Jonathan Jane. For the testimony and the witness. You know it's coming up 50 years soon. It's going to be a party. Okay, since that, moving on from there, there have been over the last, what is that, 1970, 30, 40 years, there have been revivals, movements, uh, visitations of the Spirit, and a couple stand out like Toronto, Toronto Blessing, and there are two hidden ones that I know very little about. What happened when the Berlin Wall went down and the, and the gates into the, the Eastern Europe were, were opened? I, I don't know what happened there. And also in China, we know that the, the underground church has just grown and exploded. And it's all because it's born of the Spirit. What I love about Sarepta, I think I've said it time and time again, there's a liberty and there's a freedom here in the Spirit that you will not find in many churches in this area or further afield. There's an openness. There's a hunger. And it's just, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. At the moment, again, Jericho Walls, just a comment. I can't remember the country. It doesn't matter. But the fastest growing church in the world today is in one of those Middle Eastern countries, Christian church. The fastest growing church there's total dissatisfaction, disappointment with what's going on in the Middle East. The Shiite and the, and the Sunni wars, the war in Iraq, the absolute... I don't know how people live there. I don't know how they survive in that environment. And that's causing them to turn to Christ. And there's some faithful Christian witnesses out there that are working under terrible conditions, meeting the needs. And that's why we, we get Jericho walls. We pray, we pray, we pray. The great need is to get leaders and people who can help the new converts. And then I want to, to bring us up to date. I want to share just very briefly our testimony as it relates to where the church is now. About 10, 11 years ago, I'm not sure of the exact date, we were in Fishhook. We were um, in the Full Gospel Church there. And we were running a home cell. Wonderful people. We're still good friends with many of them. We still remain in contact with them. And I was just leading and teaching. We were going through different books of the Bible and just discussing them. And then our daughter, who now lives in the UK with her husband and family, she sent me a book. <laughs> it was called When Heaven Invades Earth, written by Bill Johnson. I sat down and I read that book from cover to cover. It changed my life. I immediately stopped what we were doing. And I said, guys, we're going on a new, we're going to do something new now. 
And I started, I would read one, chapter 1, which was main, mainly testimonies. And the next, next time we met, I discussed what was in that. And we sent up, set up, in a, in a sense, quite a rigid format in that group. We would have time of praise and worship. Unfortunately, we had one of the worship leaders in our group. So we'd have a good time of worship. And the worship was focused, like today, on Jesus. And then I would share, and there would be discussion. And then the folk where we were meeting had a big coffee table, and that became the, the, the altar, in a sense. And anyone that needed prayer, we would sit them on the chair and we would pray. And I, I wasn't expecting anything, really. But God started touching people's lives. Small things. Someone who'd come in with a, a headache. Or, and as we prayed, that headache would go. There was a guy that was running his own business, and it was really sort of going belly up, if I can use that word. So we sat him on the hot seat and we prayed for him. And the orders came in. And his business flourished. I'll never forget the guy. We've got a good, good friend down there, John. He's a Scot. He's been in South Africa for I don't know how many years, but he speaks like he's just got off the plane from Scotland. He walks in one night and he said, What's God going to do tonight? And I suddenly thought, Wow. What an expectation. It reminds me of a little a story I, I heard. Delightful little story. Guys and, and well, men and women who are in business often fly around the country. People go on, on overseas on leave. And flying's just the method of getting from A to B. It's, it's, it's just a normal event. So one day this family goes on, they've got a little guy and he's, he's about eight years old or so. And it's the old days. You could still, um, cabin doors open, it wasn't barred and locked and all the security that we have today. And as the little guy gets up at the top of the stairs, he says in a loud voice, I wonder where the captain is. So a guy sticks his head out of the cockpit and he says, Hey, young man, I'm the captain. Do you want to come and have a look? And this little guy went in and he saw all these instruments and all this stuff. He sat in the pilot's seat. And you can guess that flight wasn't a normal run-of-the-mill flight for that little guy. I bet he, oops, sorry. I believe he, bet he, he was talking to his folks all the way there. I don't know how long the flight was. And probably when he got home, he would tell all his chums at school and everybody about this thing. When you come to church, do you come to meet the pilot? Or do you come because that's where church is and we have some songs and we have a preach and then we have a bit of fellowship and then we go home. My hunger and my desire 
for each one of you sitting here and anyone who might hear this is that you meet with the captain. It'll change your life. Change my life. So we left um, Fishhook about five years, six years, five and a half years we were back. And when I came back, I knew that we were coming back for a purpose and for a reason. That God was going to move. I just had that sense. And Costa Mitchell confirmed that probably the first time he came after we had come back. I didn't know Costa, and I was chatting to him. We actually said on the Friday night, there's a move of the Spirit coming to Sarepta. And that on the 23rd of June, 2013, he was up again. That was a Sunday. After the Sunday meeting, I went and chatted to him. And I said, Costa, we've had quite a few words spoken over us, Jean and, Jean and I, and they haven't yet materialized. And I'm sort of not getting younger. So he, I said, you know, would you just pray? And he prayed for me. He confirmed everything that was in my heart. It's come. It's come. It's come. And then we will see. Then we will see the glory of the Lord in this place in a new way. There are many people here that are doing good, thi- good things in the Lord. There are many here who love the Lord and serve him with all their hearts. I'm not knocking anybody. But as we've heard this morning, there's more. Oh, there's much more. No eye has seen, no mind has conceived, um, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And as that scripture that Alan read this morning is on your notes, he can do immeasurably more than we could ask or receive even and even think about. There's more, there's more, there's more Sarepta. And we get to be a part of it. Another thing has happened since we came back. We were asked by um, Gail Sutherland to take over the prayer chain. And I want to just say a few things, and then Jean's going to add a few things in. That the prayer chain is Jean's ministry. I want everybody to hear that. Because the emails go out on my email address, so most folk think, think it's me. I think she wants to share a little bit. I mean, it, the, the prayer ministry works because there are a whole bunch of good people, both in the church and out, who pray. When Gail asked us, she just felt that the Lord had pointed us out to her as the right people to take over the ministry. She was struggling at the time with her cancer treatments and she wasn't coping with getting the emails out. And she asked us, it was quite soon after we came back, and I must say I backpedaled rapidly. I didn't want it. I just didn't feel that I wanted to be confronted with all this illness and 
people with problems and didn't really have to do this. And I, I, I didn't want to do it. And so for about two months, I sat on it. And I prayed about it, and we talked about it. And Norman said, don't worry, we'll do it together. But it didn't happen like that, because he's got a busy life. He works part-time. He's got all his own involvements. And don't worry, you do the emails, and I'll do the scriptures, because he wanted a scripture to go out on every request. (sighs) And so I said, all right. And so I said to Gail, all right, we'll do it. But it turned out it it became such a blessing, I can't tell you. The the fear of of being able to cope with all the sickness and whatnot disappeared in the blessings that came back in because the Lord has answered so many prayers. And it's just been a joy to be able to manage the, the prayer chain, to send out the scriptures, to encourage people and to to hear the, the feedback that comes in, I said to people in the beginning, we didn't get much feedback. Please send us your feedback so that we can put it out and encourage the people that are praying to keep on praying. There were some people that we prayed for for months. Now think of the Chivel's little granddaughter, Lauren, that was, uh, what do you call, uh, premature by a long way. And it was just... It's such a joy to see, you know, to keep getting their feedback all the time and to be able to send it out to the prayer chain and say, this is the news, this is the good news, or this is a complication, please pray, you know. And so it's really been a huge blessing, and I'm so grateful that we did take it over. Yana, thanks. I just want to give it to those that pray. Without them, it wouldn't work. It's one thing to coordinate it but another to pray and to make it work. And the Lord's faithful, isn't he? It's incredible, actually. If we go through the year, couple of years we've been doing it, how the Lord has answered prayer. And we rejoice in that. I want to make two more comments um, that I think are important. Uh, three. Um, this morning I listened to Zelani's message from last week. And I encourage everyone to listen to it. It's on the, it's on the pod thing. On the, on the. It's really encouraging. He has said a lot of what I'm... It's not me. He has said... A l- no, now we're gone. Oh. He said a lot of things on there that I would have said this morning. He also spoke about a time. And he said, be yourself. That was so important. Is Iander here? Are you here? Upstairs. And I believe the Lord would say to you, he's got a calling. He's got a plan for your life. And don't model it on Zulani. Be yourself. And as you are faithful and as you wait on him, he's going to use you. But be yourself. Just two points I want to make. The greatest miracle of all, the one that we must go for and aim for and and strive for, is salvation. 
A person can get healed of whatever disease you're carrying, and if you don't know the Lord, you still end up in more trouble than, than if you did, of course. Having said that, there's another thing that came to me as I was preparing. We are invited as born-again believers to co-work, co-work with Christ in touching people's lives. And I pulled out a couple, just a couple of scriptures just to... Ephesians 2. Suddenly Ephesians has disappeared. Ephesians 1.22 says, And God placed all things under his feet. That's Christ's feet. And appointed him to be head over the church, which is his body. For the praise of his glory. When Jesus walked the earth, wherever he went, he caused, there was chaos and there was things happened and all sorts of stuff went on. When people in those days heard about Christ and they had problems, they came to him. And as far as I know, he never refused to heal. He healed all who came to him. There's one question mark over the Syrophoenician woman, but he healed her daughter eventually, but he healed everyone that came to him. He never said to anyone, this sickness is good for you. It will improve your character. Well, people say that. It's, it's incredible. This God of all love and all, 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 all everything wants to heal us. And he never said to anybody, oh, today's not the day. You've got to wait. We say those things because we, we lack in seeing the results. And so we, we produce excuses and, and other reasons. Christ healed everyone that came to him. And he's asking you and me and all of us here to get on board with him. Zelani actually touched on that as well. And then... John twenty twenty one. Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. He came in through the wall. And he said, don't, 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 don't freak out. I mean, this is normal. Kind of. Incredible. Imagine that. Anyhow, he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then in um, Hebrews 20, Hebrews 2, verse 11. Now I've lost Hebrews. Here we're getting there. Hebrews 2, verse 11. Actually, I should, didn't need to go there. What I've got here is um, something I took from John G. Lake's writings. He's a personal hero of mine. Him with Smith Wigglesworth. Amazing guys. 
And I'll just read it from here. It says, Hebrews 2.11 says, Both he who sanctifies, Jesus, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's mankind, us, those who have received Christ, are of one Father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's the scripture. Then John Day goes on to say, by his grace, both are of one nature. That's Second Peter says, we take on the divine nature. He's not ashamed to call us brothers, but by his grace, we are of one nature. One in life, one in righteousness of his death, and one in consequent dominion that comes from his resurrection and glory. It's all about him. It's not to do with us. He is the elder brother, talking about Jesus. We, the younger. Members of the same family. Of the same father. Begotten of the same spirit. In it, Energized by the same divine life of God, qualified through the Holy Spirit to perform the same blessed ministry. This is the purpose of God in, self, in the salvation of man. He has purposed that we should work with him. That he should work through us. What an amazing gospel. Allow the Spirit, allow the life of God to well up in you. There are people out there, there are people down in Stockville, there are people all over the place that need to hear and receive what we've received. Go get him.